Successful Performer Cast, Season 8, Episode 5. This is the show that interviews one full-time professional entertainer per week with the goal of inspiring and equipping those who are working to make the leap themselves. This is the Successful Performer Cast. Hey everyone, I hope your New Year's is off to a great start as people are plugging away at their resolutions and such. I also hope that you've been able to catch your breath after a fast-paced holiday season. So this week, we're adding a little variety into things with a singer and voice actor, Laura Dickinson, and she brings us insight into how she's made it as a voice actor for Disney Animation and just how good old-fashioned hustle can really take you the distance. Now, first, I'd like to thank our sponsor for this show, and that is Manage Gigs, who helps you to keep track of all of your gigs online without having to resort to spreadsheets. Visit manageyourgigs.com today to check it out and sign up for your free seven-day trial. Well, I think that does it, so let's get to this interview with Laura Dickinson. I am excited to welcome to the show singer and voice actor, Laura Dickinson. Laura makes her living as a full-time musician, contracting for Disney, providing singing voices for animated characters on Phineas and Ferb, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, and Sophia the First. Essentially, she is your nine-year-old daughter's favorite singer. You've also heard her voice on Pitch Perfect, Modern Family, and Supernatural. And when she's not bringing her character acting talent, she is also a frequent live performer fronting her own 17-piece big band and opening for names like Tony Bennett and Lyle Lovett. She's also recently released her new debut album, One for My Baby, to Frank Sinatra with Love, which is a beautifully done and wonderfully arranged homage to Old Blue Eyes. Laura Dickinson, I am super excited to have you as a guest on the Successful Performer Cast. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me, Chris. How exciting. Hey, I am super excited about this. Uh, so the, the first thing we like to do is to start off with some inspiration. And I would like to ask you, do you have a favorite success quote or a specific mantra that you like to live by? Happy to be here. Easy to work with. Ooh, I love that. You know, it's it's really interesting because... You know, you hear all the time, you know, other performers in whatever capacity you perform in, you hear of people who aren't easy to work with. Could you maybe yep. take a, a moment and talk about, maybe give us a specific example as to how that has played out in your life? A specific example as to how that has played out in my life. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, I actually did another interview for a podcast. I can't remember which one it was, but I said that. I've been saying that for a long time. Happy right. to be here. Easy to work with. And someone actually adopted that mantra and they are also a performer and it became their kind of, you know, little saying and people started remembering him for that. So I feel like I'm passing it on and it's growing. But when I finally met him, he knew of me mm -hmm. before we actually met because of that podcast and remembered that saying and adopted it. So oh, wow. um, he actually is one of the percussionists at Disneyland mm -hmm. and he's uh, 
a, a substitute performer in that he calls in he goes in and fills in so it's a great attitude to have when you're filling in for somebody else because there's already if you're ever in like a sub situation I've found in my life it's always it's kind of like a, sometimes a disruption of the family if it's a band or if it's a show um so if you have a good attitude and you come in as like fresh meat and new blood and ha- spread happiness and good energy i find mm. that it it usually benefits everyone in the situation Absolutely. You know, could you think of maybe a moment where you went into a situation where maybe the atmosphere was really heavy and just the fact that you were happy to be there and easy to work with maybe helped turn things around? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I hate to go back to Disney, but I have been (laughs) with the company for 20 years. Yes. (laughs) Um, Specifically as well. This is another one of my mantras. You can be a singer and you can be an instrumentalist, but whether or not you're a musician is to be proven. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a band or a band of voices, as I've been in several acapella groups, it's kind of an intimate thing. You become a family. And the way that the structure works as a performer at the Disneyland Resort, it's set up to where you have specific casts that usually work together okay so certain people will work four days a week certain people will work three days a week certain people work one day a week some people are subs so if you have a set show that's structured to where the same people work together all the time Mm -hmm. it can create a very interesting dynamic especially in something as intimate as like an acapella group because you're it's it's probably one of the most intimate things you can do you know sing with people and get six people on the same page vocally you know in tune and timing and there's a lot that goes into that kind of performing but i remember going in to a a different cast and just trying to be positive and try to to balance the art of singing and performing how the person that you're filling in for mm-hmm. what like doing being a good shadow of exactly what they're used to being with but then balancing the art of bringing your own performance to it right it's it's pretty it's pretty much like walking a tightrope <laughs> I, I bet so what what if you've never met that person before would you maybe go and and kind of watch them to kind of get a feel for how they how they work then or I used to love doing that and okay. and it's it's kind of like an understudy situation when you have to sub in for that someone makes else or you know and I there there are in that particular situation which was called Groove 66 it was a six part a cappella group that was modeled after American Vibe a vocal group with a vocal percussionist and an acoustic bass a stand up bass wow Epcot Center oh man and that was a fantastic group. They've just recently at Epcot started a new acapella group called, I think it's called the American Music Machine. Mm-hmm. And um, so a particular show director at the Disneyland Resort saw American Vibe in Epcot and said, I want to bring that to Anaheim. And the person that helped bring that to fruition and founded the group. His name is Deke Sharon, and mm-hmm. he's the one that music directed, produced. He has so many titles that I don't want to screw up on Pitch Perfect, <laughs> both Pitch Perfect movies. He's the one that hired me for those movies. And uh, also the sing-off, if you remember the acapella, to, uh, acapella reality competition. Hmm. So um, 
that was a particular situation like we're talking about, happy to be here, easy to work with. Um, he remembered me from that particular performance experience, and it resulted in other work. Okay. Yeah. Well, awesome. So, yeah, uh, to answer your question, we were going back about um, how do you sub in properly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how how do you be a good understudy? Um, that's part of your job as an understudy on Broadway and in musical theater. You have to watch who you're okay. covering. You know, there's there's an understudy position and there's also what's called a cover. I'm not sure if our listeners are educated, but for those of you that are wondering what that is, the cover is there all the time in case something happens during the show. But then there's also understudies. They call it a standby. Mm. So um, in a musical theater situation, you are required to watch and you get more of an opportunity to watch. But in the situation I was in at the Disneyland Resort, I didn't always have the opportunity to check out who I was covering. So I would come in on my time off mm-hmm. and I would make sure to know what I was getting into and know what I was doing. And those, a lot of people uh, sometimes, you know, rag on theme park performance work, but it was way better for me than actually, you know, a four-year college degree. I got more education performing at Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure and Epcot for a little moment. Mm -hmm. That's another story. But I got more education trying to do six shows a day between five to seven days a week, every week, than you could even imagine. It strengthened my voice, my performance skills. I was having to perform in 100-plus degree weather, in freezing oh, weather. Man. You know, it's and it, it, 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, it was an incredible education. But I did make sure that I would come in on my time off and figure out what I was doing. I was responsible for creating a program there called the Sweet Program which was exactly that. You would come in and relieve somebody for a show here and there and know a bunch of different roles. And then if someone called in sick or got sick during the day, they were covered and wouldn't lose any shows. No shows would have to go down, as they call it. But um, yeah, I was also in some situations at Disney where I had to go into a new role in that acapella group in particular, in Group Mm -hmm. 66, which is now still existing over 11, no, almost 15 years later. We still perform under the name Vibration with the Y, but I had to perform in that group in another role that I had never performed in with zero rehearsal. Oh my so gosh. That was a particular situation where me coming in on my time off and making sure I knew what I was doing for other specific parts. Right. Benefit, right. Benefited me. Benefit <laughs> me. Okay, this is not a grammar podcast. No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So So, yeah, it was a good experience, and it it was a a large chunk of my life. I started with the company in 1995, working as a Jungle Cruise skipper. Oh wow! Did everything there from work in the Tiki Room, work in Circle Vision, which doesn't exist anymore, the Country Bear Playhouse, which doesn't exist anymore. It's Mm -hmm. now Winnie the Pooh attraction. I did a whole bunch of things. I waved a flashlight at Fantasmic because I I wanted to perform there, and I was too young. I graduated high school when I was fifteen, so at age sixteen, I I marched down there and I said, "I want to dance in the parades," and they said, "You're too young. Would you like to work on the rides instead?" (laughs) So. Um, yeah, it started in 95 and then I started, I was there for two years and then I started as a performer in 2001. Mm -hmm. And when I started at Disney channel in 2006, I did both for 
almost two years, but I had to say goodbye to the theme park performance life because Disney Channel was, uh, it was just too hard to do both. Right. Okay. So, so you, you started off, uh, working for Disneyland at the age of 15 and, and mm-hmm. then, at, or sorry, 16. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Got it. Uh, and that, that kind of just evolved into, um, you were working the parks and then, and then you went over to, uh, to Disney animation after that. Um, when did you start, uh, doing live performances and, you know, with, with bands and stuff? With bands? Mm-hmm. Well, my first live performance was at age three at the Plummer Auditorium in Fullerton. Okay. <laughs> That's where my grandmother lives in Fullerton. Oh, hi, Grandma. <laughs> um, so, you know, I started training as a dancer when I was three. Okay. And I was in intense dance training until about like age 17. And I did my very first professional performance job at age 17. It was a production of 42nd Street. I got paid. I love to tap dance almost as much, if not more, than singing. Mm -hmm. But my first performance with the band was probably when I was nine years old. My father had a band ever since I was born, you know, classic garage band, although they were all professional musicians, Mm -hmm. uh, like part-time professional musicians. They had families and jobs and but there was always a band rehearsing in my garage and I got to go to the gigs that my dad played at when they were at restaurants. So it kind of just was something that I grew up with. And I started sitting in with the band when I was nine, my very first band that I ever sang with was when I was about 17 and I met them on the jungle cruise. We all worked as jungle cruise skippers. I love that. (laughs) So, and it was called groove one and we played hits like jungle boogie and you know, (laughs) all those top 40 covers of the 1990 mid nineties and before. And so uh, I was doing things like, do you remember that song? Everybody dance now by music factory. You know, those kinds of things and, you know, Donna Summer, it was a great experience. But my very first band was when I was 16. And then I decided at the age of 20 that I wanted to be a full-time musician and performer. And Mm -hmm. I just took the leap right as after Y2K happened. Oh, wow. So after January 1st, 2000, very shortly after that, I said, I'm doing this full-time. And I've been... Without a day job since that day. So, what what kind of things did you do to uh, to you know start drumming up business? I got onto a website called Musicians Contact Service, mm-hmm. and I just started looking for opportunities to perform everywhere I could. I was auditioning for musicals, mm-hmm. and I didn't do a lot of free musicals. Sometimes, you know, community theater can be unpaid but i didn't do very much of that because i needed to make a living but between working in a cover band and doing some musicals here and there i also got a job at knott's berry farm performing and then i had my performing job at disneyland um it was you know okay just i just kind of had to make it work it's it's a very hard transition for anyone thinking about trying to do music or performing Mm full-time and i always say if you're not ready to be told no every single day and to be your own best friend and your own champion, then don't do it. You right. literally have to 
be able to be told no every single day. Because as much as we talk about in our regular everyday life and in politics about, you know, racism and gender discrimination, Hollywood doesn't believe in any of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, we face that every single day. I just got to do a concert with two of my biggest, the biggest people that I look up to. Michael Bublé and Seth MacFarlane. And I was so excited. I'm like, I'm finally going to get to perform with these people that I'm like, they're doing exactly what I'm doing. Um, you know, which is a long story short, trying to keep the great American songbook alive. But mm-hmm. I was not allowed to sing in the, in the, in the end, the way the story evolved, I was, I was allowed to still work on the gig. I was hired as a vocal contractor. Okay. Um, which I can explain what that means specifically for the audience if some people don't know in mm-hmm. a little bit. But I was not allowed to sing because of the color of my skin. So wow. if you aren't ready to be told no for whatever reason, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too skinny, your hair is the wrong color, your eyes are the wrong color. Like I could go on and on and on. So if you're thinking about making that transition, you have to really be able to give yourself a pep talk pretty much every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean – it, even even in not performing in business in in whatever you're trying to do, especially if you're going to be an entrepreneur, uh, rejection is going to be a part a big part of it anyway. So, of course, and you just got to be able to keep on going to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and start all over again. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody like me who has been really passionate about performing and making a living at it for over 15 years. You know, I still started when I was three. I'm 36. Mm -hmm. When you go off to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, you have your four years of college, then another four years or however long you decide to go to school. When you are a performer or a musician, a lot of time it's a lifetime investment. Yeah. Yep. So uh, going back a moment, you mentioned uh, that you, you had gotten involved with Disney Animation. Could you talk about how you got involved with them? Absolutely. I am part of an organization called the Pageant of the Masters. Okay. In Laguna Beach. Yes. Which, if you haven't heard of it, I suggest you all check it out because it's pretty spectacular. It's Tableau Vivant, live art. And it's like a smaller, if you can envision the Hollywood Bowl, it's an outdoor amphitheater and they recreate famous pieces of art, mm-hmm. except the people are real. And they're made up to look two-dimensional or three-dimensional. There, there's sculptures. There's like one year they did the hood ornament of a Rolls Royce, you know, <laughs> famous pieces like The Last Supper, Da Vinci. And I could go on and on. But there is a live symphony orchestra. And I started singing with the orchestra in 2004. And in 2006, I believe, I was hired as a vocal contractor, and I've been doing that for several years. The theme always changes, so sometimes there's vocals, sometimes there isn't. Um, I was sitting in the orchestra pit, and my chair was right next to the guitar player, and I had just broken up with my fiancé mm-hmm. this year. This was the year 2006. Okay. And I looked miserable, and that's exactly what he told me. He's like, what is wrong with you? You look miserable. We started talking. We became friends. The piece that I was singing was Sting's Fields of Gold, but I was singing <laughs> the Ava Cassidy version, and it was kind of a duet between the guitarist and myself, and then the symphony also played 
but he told me, he said, you know, you should think about recording that song. It's a great song for you. Do a great job with it. And, you know, why don't you come over and I'll record it for you. And I kind of questioned him as far as, you know, well, how much does something like that cost or, you know, and he's like, well, why don't you just do a trade for me? Like just sing a demo for one of my songs and I'll record this for you for free. And (laughs) I did demo a song called Kronk for Hire on the Emperor's New School. Mm -hmm. And the creative team liked it so much that it ended up airing on television and that person that was playing guitar in the pit was named Danny Jacob and he is best known for being the composer of Phineas and Ferb. Right. So that was the beginning of our relationship there in 2006 and we've gone on to do started with the Emperor's New School, we did Sunny with a Chance, also the which was renamed So Random. Uh, so many things. Phineas and Ferb were working on the new Milo Murphy's Law, which is from the creative team of Phineas and Ferb, which I'm really excited about. We've worked mm-hmm. on a bunch of projects together. The Frozen DVD, if you have the DVD and uh-huh. have seen the special features, we worked on that together. Oh, um, wow. He's, he's a really amazing human being and an insanely talented man, and I'm very grateful for him. We always joke that he discovered me and he's responsible for my career, but it's kind of true. That that's cool, and I, I really I really have a feeling that you're looking over my shoulder here at my notes because that was the next thing I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. is is Danny Jacob. In that uh, one of the things I, I noticed on your website is that um, you're kind of Danny Jacob's secret weapon. Could you talk about maybe how you became his go-to singer? Like, I mean, I I, I know that you, he he discovered you and stuff like that, but. Uh, um, you know, you have to be really good in order for somebody to keep using you. You know what I mean? Of course. And it goes back to that, you know, being easy to work with, too. I just am really passionate about developing relationships with, with colleagues as far as trying to take it to the next level and get to know them a little bit mm-hmm. personally. And just, you know, there's there's such an intense energy when you work with somebody and it's just you and them in the right. studio. If it's just two people. And a lot of times when you're recording in animation, it, it might be that, you know, you're in with the voice director and you, or you're in with maybe the voice director and the executive producer and you, but sometimes it can get pretty intimate. Um, so I just, I really started to pay attention as to, you know, how he worked and the style he liked to work in and the speed of things, you know, cause everyone has their own rhythms in a studio. And I just, we created this kind of relationship to where we we got to where we didn't really have to talk very much. We kind of started to read each other's minds. And part of what was so cool for me about my career path at Disney was Phineas and Ferb because that show was so popular. Mm -hmm. And I remember now that I know how, how this all works as far as how composers get their jobs, like at least how we go through the hiring process at Disney. Um, I say we, I have nothing to do with it. They. <laughs> but you're a part of it. So <laughs> I'm really lucky to be a part of that family. But specifically, Happy to be here, right? <laughs> exactly. When they are looking for a composer, most times it's it's a blind submit. Sometimes that happens in the casting department too. Um the creative team will choose who they want without Mm -hmm. knowing their names and having any preconceived notions about them. They really let the art speak for themselves or the voice talent or whatever it is. So 
when Danny was auditioning for Phineas and Ferb, he had me and another fabulous singer who's toured with Roger Waters and uh, numerous other artists and has sung on tons of movies and television and commercials. His name is Robbie Wyckoff. Look him up if you're interested. He's great. But he had Robbie and I come to his home studio and sing the Perry the Platypus theme song, the, the his actual song, and then we sang. What was the other one? Oh gosh, how am I how am I blanking on this? <laughs> I remember it was it was Perry the Platypus, and then there was one other song that were kind of his audition songs, and he submitted the demos, and it was just like Emperor's New School. They liked it, so they used it, and our demos went to air. I mean, when we say when I say demo, it's it it was fully produced and you know air right. quality ready, but okay, it just they approved it, and you know, next thing you know, there's a SAG contract waiting for you to sign. Wow. So uh, it was Gitchy Gitchy Goo means okay. that I love you. Thank the Lord, my I get teased because my brain is full of holes. They call me Swiss cheese brain. <laughs> other things I can certainly remember, but I could sit down and play Claire de Lune for you on the piano from start to finish. But right. Anyways. You remember the important things. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's how um, the the beginning of Phineas started with singing those two songs and submitting them and him getting the job. And the next thing we knew, we kind of took the formula from those two songs, which was more specifically Gitchy Gitchy Goo than Perry because Perry had this branded like spy theme kind of a sound. Mm-hmm. But Gitchy had this stacked layered vocal pad sound to where I co-arranged the background parts with Danny and then we sang them all. We arranged on the spot, sang all the parts, and then we did something called tripling. You can double or triple your vocals. You just stack them up. You sing the same thing again. And so we created these lush three and four part harmonies and then tripled everything. And it came it became this sound, which it was just me and Danny. And huh. it, it kind of, you hear it a lot on the show and it just became this kind of like signature sound thing. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the roundabout answer of, you know, going back to developing relationships with people, especially if you can find something that you can do with somebody else that sets you apart. Yeah. And anything that's marketable or brandable. And I was really excited that we kind of, you know, created that specific sound. Okay. So that, that that makes a lot of sense then. I mean, the two of you really just kind of uh, developed a rapport with each other and have been able to really kind of mesh your workflows. And like you said, you can kind of read his mind. And I'd imagine it's the same with him reading your mind. And that's probably the big reason why he keeps coming back to you for, for working on things. So It's like that a lot in the business. If Mm -hmm. you can find someone that you can rely on and somebody that you can count on. I mean, I've been working with some of the same singers that I've hired for some of our TV shows and movies and commercials. I've been working with some of those people for over 15 years. So if you can find people that help you or represent you well, you know, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, make you look good, you kind of develop those relationships and keep those people really close to the Close to the vest, <laughs> if that's the right term for them. <laughs> Sounds romantic. <laughs> yeah. 
So now in in having to record vocals for for animation, do you have to like change your voice or anything? How how do you kind of get into uh you know the character and things? What are some of the challenges associated with that? It's always case specific. Mm-hmm. I have a certain sound when I sing, when I just sing and don't think about it. Okay. But and then that gets divided up like a pie depending on what the genre is, whether it's jazz or pop or R&B. Mm-hmm. But then there's something that I learned over the years of having my dad's band around. My dad was a sound alike and he could change his voice to sound like anyone. So I grew up listening to him do that. He could do dead on Elvis Presley, Roy Orbison, Tom Jones, John Fogarty, Stephen Stills, uh, on and on and on and on. So I was paying attention and it came in handy to roundaboutly answer your question. Like when I'm singing for somebody like Tori Spelling, Mm -hmm. who is the speaking voice of the pirate princess on Jake and the Neverland pirates, I actually get a sound file from Disney that has her dialogue on it. So I'm able to listen to her speak and copy her because speaking is musical also. Every word you say can be matched up with a note. So you kind of find the range that they speak in and their timing and just the way they kind of shape their vowels. And you start with the speaking and then you translate that into singing. I had to do that the other day on Sophia the First singing for an actress also. And I'm doing it for another actress on Elena of Avalor, which is the Mm spinoff of Sophia the First, Disney's first Latina princess, (laughs) Elena of Avalor. Uh, so it's always specific. If you know in advance what the picture is going to look like, it's a lot easier. Just like when you're voice acting for an animated character, if you see what they look like, sometimes just what they sound like will pop out of your mouth. Um, it, it's a lot easier when you can see what's going on in the picture. Sometimes you'll get an animatic. Sometimes you'll get a full, fully animated picture. It depends on where they're at in the process. But other times you have nothing to go on. And it's I always ask questions. I try and ask smart questions. How many people are singing right here? Do we know if their mouths are moving? Do mm-hmm. we know what what's going to be happening in this scene? Do we know who's singing these background parts? Or are they just background parts that exist and there's no nobody on screen with them? You know, all those things can help you decide what they're going to sound like. Got it. Okay. So before we move on to uh, a different topic here, what has been your biggest takeaway from working with Disney? Adaptability. Yeah. Yeah, just discovering and learning how people work. Mm-hmm. When you're in that tiny little box with people and the energy is flying around, and a lot of times it's really personal to a lot of the people in the room because they created it, mm-hmm. they wrote it, and they have a, a very specific vision. And being able to communicate what you need to do for them and ask the right questions and just make sure that they get a product that they're happy with. Just being adaptable and being flexible and not getting into your head because the way it works a lot of times with creative people, they're very picky. Yeah. So a lot of times you have to do things a lot. You got to do a lot of takes and 
it's hard not to get self-conscious. It's hard not to get into your head. And a lot of times you're in a booth by yourself and they're out on the other side of the glass and the talkback mic isn't always open. So uh, it's like, don't talk about me behind my back. Oh, right. wait, you're talking about me in front of my back. But I can't <laughs> hear you. <laughs> That's so when you should read voices, right? Or read lips. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of a psychological you know, game that you play with yourself. And like I said, being your own biggest champion. So yeah, yeah my biggest takeaway is just has been learning how to be adaptable and figure out what people need, what people want, especially when it comes to vocal contracting. I'm really passionate about mm -hmm. finding the right people for the job. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it seems like, uh, something that might go hand in hand with that is to just, uh, I mean, cause you're working on people's babies, you know what I mean? Of course. The, the things people create, they're intimately involved with, they're intimately invested in. And so, any kind of direction you get back, you also have to realize that nothing is personal either. Of course. Absolutely. So. Is it a pain managing your customers and gigs? If you said yes, then you haven't visited manageyourgigs.com yet. This online solution was made by a professional entertainer to eliminate the frustration that comes with generic CRM tools. This one was made for us. For a low monthly fee, you can keep track of all of your customers and gigs online with nothing to install. So stop managing your gigs with spreadsheets or paper and start doing it the way the pros do it. Visit manageyourgigs.com today and sign up for your free 7-day trial. manageyourgigs.com. Now, let's get back to that interview. So we're we're um, I, I'm going to give you a moment to uh, to talk about your your album, and uh, we're also going to be featuring um, one of your songs from it as well. But first, there's a couple of uh, other questions that I'd like to ask all of my guests, and the first one is: uh, I, I'm sure you see moments of failure as a learning experience, and I was hoping that you could give us one specific example of a time that you had a, a moment of failure and what you took away from it. Gosh, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> and a as moment, creatives, there always are. <laughs> a moment of failure. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, what a great question. I think that we tend to sometimes feel when we don't book an audition that it is sort of a failure. And I will say this as humbly and kindly as I can, <laughs> but I have been really, really lucky in my career and certain things led to other things, which I've seen trends in people's career. You know, if you meet someone here and you can develop those relationships, then that could take you to the next job. They could hire you for this job. They could hire you for that job. Mm -hmm. But, um, at, with as much success that I've had, I think I've had an equal amount of failure because in the voiceover business, it's incredibly competitive. I've done a lot of different types of performing. I've done a lot of corporate entertainment performing. I've been a dancer. I've been a singer. I've been an actor. I've been a musician, instrumentalist. You know, I play piano and guitar. I, I can get by on the electric bass and several other instruments. But, you know, I haven't come across any other avenue of the entertainment business that is as 
competitive as voiceover. And I'm, I'm sure everybody in their own walk and specific part of the business can say it's the most competitive. But I honestly feel that it's incredibly competitive and it takes a lot, a lot of time and effort because you're getting auditions sent to you every single day right. and they have, they all have deadlines. So if you can't, you know, drop what you're doing and get into your studio and record these auditions and you know, life happens. Sometimes you have a bad day. Sometimes you don't really have as much time as you'd like to devote to some of these auditions and stuff. And I think I've done this year alone. Oh, maybe upwards of three or 400 auditions. Mm -hmm. And I did one audio book. One of those, I actually had to audition for a singing voice match. Oh, I, booked, yeah. I booked that. I booked a new movie called Sing with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Seth MacFarlane and a bunch of other amazing people. But like, that's like maybe what three jobs mm -hmm. out of three or 400 auditions. So that's a lot of failure. <laughs> It really is, yeah. Could could so, you give us one specific example, though? A specific example. I was trying to think of one earlier, but that was what I could come up with. Ah. A specific example. A specific amount of... Uh, okay, I'll give you one. Um, you should always watch what you say in any situation, ever. Naturally. Of course. And I was really, really young when I started performing at Disney. I mean, yes. I, was, I was 20 years old. Okay. So I I also had some social skills lacking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. So I had a lot of learning to do. When I was a crawling baby, I was reading flashcards with my mom. I got sent to third grade in kindergarten. I'm not trying to make a comment on, you know, just being smart as a child, but more as like that kind of screwed me up socially as far as like I related to older people more. And when I went back to kindergarten, I was kind of, you know, just like it was weird. It stunted me and I thought I was just the boss of everyone. And it was mm. not, not, not ideal socially. So I had to learn the hard way getting into these intimate performance situations at Disney and I was I was mad because I thought that I deserved <clears throat> to be working more than I was and I was already working there full time as a performer but I was working in a show that I didn't want to be working in full time I wanted to be working in the other show so I was kind of talking trash <laughs> on <Right. laughs> the show director and the casting director who I of course thought they had no idea what they were doing and I was just going off and I was going on a rant because it it, it was serious and I was about to lose my health insurance and I knew that the one show I was working in full-time was going to close before the other particular show was that I wanted mm -hmm. to be in and I was talking trash on these people and they actually walked in the door and heard it oh man yeah. Oof. So um, always watch what you say. And there is always going to be somebody that's better than you. Mm -hmm. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, there is always going to be someone that can do your job better than you can. So be the best representation of yourself. I think that was one pretty specific failure of mine. I yeah. got I got suspended and Ooh. you know, we're all like <laughs> offended and hurt. And, you know, people are really sensitive. Artists are really sensitive. So yeah. always keep that in the back of your head. Yep. Is that a good enough answer? <laughs> That's perfect. Absolutely. I, you know, there's, it's, it's interesting in, in asking that question because I always get such different answers from everybody, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting just to see 
uh, you know, what everybody says. And there are so many different lessons to be learned from them as well. Sure. So on, on the opposite side of the spectrum, could you tell us about your favorite success? Mm, my favorite? Do I have to pick one? <laughs> <laughs> these are hard questions, Chris. Well, um, hey. <laughs> I always find that these, these podcasts, I, I try to, to be honest right. and, you know, it's hard to talk about yourself sometimes. I, artists are sensitive, and but I always remember my dear friend who actually gave me the happy to be here, easy to work with mantra. He also has another good one that we hashtagged <laughs> several times. Um, just be vulnerable. You know, it's performing is putting yourself out there, sharing yeah. your art with people. It's a really serious thing. I think it's one of the most intimate things you can do, you know, lay yourself out on the line doing mm -hmm. what you love. And, you know, there is also a desire to be accepted and to be liked and uh, to have people respect your art. But as far as success goes, gosh, um, I, I know this show is airing in January, but we're recording it in December, almost December. Yeah, almost yeah. December. So I, I'm hoping that my greatest success is in the future and maybe we can do another interview sometime depending on that. what happens. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you about it on the break. <laughs> but um, I think that Phineas and Ferb would probably be my biggest success. Okay. Being able to be a part of a little, small, small, small part of the creation process behind that, like being able to write vocal arrangements. And I've been able to just do a little bit of light arranging on that show. And I really love producing. And Phineas and Ferb was probably, yeah, my greatest success. Mm -hmm. And all of that show, it kind of opened up a lot of doors for me. You know, I'm a vocal director at Disney TV Animation now, which is kind of like a vocal producer. And I get to contract for them, and it, it all started from that one, one main show. I, I love that, and you know, these things happen to people, and it looks like they're a quote unquote overnight success. But what people don't see is all of the other work they did up to that point. You know, it, it's like a cloak of invisibility just falls on the rest of that, and they're like, "Oh, look at this person now; they're huge." You know, it's like mm -hmm. it's crazy. Classic example is mm -hmm. Adina Menzel. Yes. <laughs> She's been in the business for a long time. Mm -hmm. And Frozen just shot her right out of the cannon. Man, yep. It what, goes what to show what good too. songwriters can do for a career. <laughs> Thank you, yes. Kristen Lopez. <laughs> Is her name Kristen? Cri Cri um, forget. Cri Krista Anderson Lopez? I got to do my research. For For who? The songwriters of Frozen. Oh, I don't know who the songwriters were. Who also yeah. wrote um, Book of Mormon, right? No, Book know, of Mormon was Mark Shaman. I don't, I'm messing <laughs> everything up. Delete, delete, delete. <laughs> All right. Undo, right? <laughs> command Z, Command Z. <laughs> All right. So we're, we're uh, rounding up here on the end of the show. And uh, just a couple more things I'd like you to do. And the first thing I'd like you to do is to... Um, just share a resource that you always use to our listeners. And this could be anything from an iPhone app to something like, you know, a prop list for a show or something like that. A resource, mm -hmm. a good resource for a performer. Yes. Um, I, I'm going to have to go on a limb and say the internet. Yeah. I, one of my things I'm really passionate about in, I've been just this year, this past year, just for a few months, 
everyone asks me to coach, vocal coach, help me get a job in voiceover, help me this, please, can you guide me? And I mm-hmm. find I, I just haven't had the time and I finally started to make time and it's been a great experience. But one of the biggest things that I try to pass along to performers as a resource is to use the power of the internet and get your media together. Yes. You have to be able, for somebody like me, when... I get a submission from a talent, someone that is, you know, a voice talent or a singer or a musician. I have to be able to, within two or three clicks, know everything about you. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you do, how you do it, what you're good at, what you're best at. And I can't do that if you don't have your media in order, like your website, very specific bio about you, your videos, your audio, your everything that you can possibly get your hands on to represent you on the internet should be letter spot on perfect. Mm. So, and in the way that casting works these days, that's, that's just the, it's a cold, hard reality. You know, people are going to stalk you on the internet. People are going to want to see your resume with, with a a couple clicks and not have to search for it. So Mm -hmm. you live and die by what you have online about yourself. Of course. Yep. And you you got to be able to educate yourself and, you know, figure out how to edit your Wikipedia page and your IMDb page mm-hmm. and have your YouTube content and be creating content. Like I was going going back to what I was saying about having creating your own, like when I created my own band and people really can see who I am through that performing arts kind of a showcase. Mm-hmm. I figured out what I love doing and what I think I'm good at and just put it out there and People have given me jobs off of seeing that kind of stuff. So, yeah, the internet. Use the power of the internet. (laughs) Awesome. And uh, the second thing I'd like you to do is to recommend two books, one of them performance-specific, and then one outside the performance realm like a business or a self-development book. Oh, gosh. You actually think I have time to read books? (laughs) Hey, audiobooks, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I wish I had time. Anytime oh, I'm in my car, I'm learning songs. Yes. Oh, okay. That, <laughs> That's that one makes, of the hardest things yep. a lot of people don't realize about singers. You've got to memorize the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, books. Books. Um, it's not really a book, but it's kind of a publication. Um, the voiceover resource guide mm. is awesome. It is everything you need to know about voiceover training voiceover agents it's kind of like a directory it's like a phone book for voiceover the business of voiceover so you can pick that up online or get a copy several places in los angeles i think that they have one in new york too but i'm not sure so that's a good one awesome another book an actual book I I'm so drawing a blank because oh, I don't okay. <laughs> I don't really have time to to read books. Um, I love all all of the um, the real books have been a great resource for me. Like as a, a musician, you know, having a book of standards in the trunk of your car at right. a moment's notice, you know, I I always recommend to people to keep you keep your headshot and resume in your trunk. You keep like I keep my CDs in the trunk. I keep um 
sheet music just in case you're out anywhere and you need it you're called upon to sing you know mm-hmm. you never know who you're going to meet and you never know when you're going to be the right place at the right time we were just talking about this this morning when i asked people to oh sing something for me and they say no i yeah. get so sad i'm like you're supposed to love doing this mm-hmm. <laughs> please share your art with me right so yeah um i just picked up the newest sinatra biography but i don't really have time to read a lot of books i should make more time this year <laughs> um and in 2016 hopefully if we get another chance to do another interview somewhere down the road my book will be finished so Right, absolutely. And uh, I also wanted you to share about that as well, because what we're going to feature, you know, one of your songs and uh, off of your latest album. So maybe you could take a moment and uh, talk about your album, uh, the song that uh, you would like us to feature, and also tell us uh, what your book is going to be. Okay, well, um, my album is called One for My Baby to Frank Sinatra with Love, Mm -hmm. and it is a tribute to Frank Sinatra. When I was I think I was 15, 13, sorry. I had a hole in my retina and it was pretty serious. It ended up, I ended up with the full recovery, which was good, but I had to go to the ophthalmologist all the time. And I had thick Coke bottle glasses and I ended up wearing contacts. I think I got contacts in third grade. Mm Mm-hmm. So eye problems had plagued me, but when I had the retinitis, I was going through the ophthalmologist all the time. And the best of the capital years had just come out, which is a compilation CD of some of Frank's best, the best, one of the best time periods of his career. And I fell in love with his music and his voice as a singer, listening to the way he shaped his vowels and his diction and his phrasing, where he breathes, where he wouldn't breathe, the choices he would make, how he would kind of make his vocals shimmer, I call it, you know, just stylizing his vibrato and really choosing like, just like his vowel shapes alone, he was master. Mm-hmm. He's probably the greatest voice of uh, of the American history of music, if you ask me. I mean, a lot of people would say the same thing, but he he pretty much has been the voice He is the voice. I adore his performing skills. Mm -hmm. And he had a a lovely long career. And his music has definitely stood the test of time. If you see all these things that have been going on and will continue to go on for his centennial year, it's pretty remarkable that an artist can have that kind of staying power. Yeah. I don't think Justin Bieber will be able to pull that one off. (laughs) But... um. I I just fell in love with his voice at a very early age and it helped me as a vocalist really start to think about how I was being a musical craftsman. Mm-hmm. And I just started at then at age 13 I memorized all of his songs. I just became very involved in studying his catalog and when I went to do my first album you could only make your first album once and sure, I had yeah. a totally different concept I wanted to do something called plus one where every track was me and another artist. Cause I play instruments too. And I also write songs and I wanted to just have an album that was kind of a, a duets album, but just every track was me and one other person only mm-hmm. as far as instrumentalists or other singers or, and just have it be a collaboration. And the very first collaboration I did was with a gentleman named Vince Demura, a very fine pianist who teaches pianist who -hmm. teaches at Princeton. And I came across his work doing a musical review 
called My Way, a tribute to Frank Sinatra, Mm -hmm. up in Sacramento for the Sacramento Music Circus. They have a smaller theater up there. And I was singing all these random kind of Frank Sinatra songs that I didn't know. So it even expanded my my knowledge of his catalog more. And the score was not written, but the actual printed score for that review was put together by Vince DeMira. And I opened up the score and there was a love letter in the front of the book about the score and how to perform it, his his suggestions and just giving us a little glimpse into what went into creating this piece. And I said, I just read those words. I'm like, I have to know who this guy is. Mm -hmm. And I looked him up online. I found a video of him playing autumn leaves on YouTube to this day remains my favorite version of the song. Check it out. Okay. And I left a comment on one of his videos and he looked me up and he left a comment on one of my videos. And this was back when you could message on YouTube Mm -hmm. and which I don't think you can do anymore. But we just started talking, and to this day, he's one of my dearest friends. I hired him to come out to California and record one for my baby, the title track, with me. And the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> I I said, you know what? I've got to do more Sinatra stuff yeah. instead of going with my original concept. So I put together a top-notch big band of my favorite top session players in town. I called all of my favorite arrangers and just together this album i don't think i knew what i was doing at the time but i'm incredibly pleased with the product Mm, and i hope that you guys are too (laughs) i would love it if you would play come fly with me because it's the best uh i think it's the best and quickest way to hear what the album is really about Mm -hmm. it's it's not a cookie cutter of frank sinatra or trying to imitate him or trying to just do his same arrangements. It's me trying to assist the great uh, the great path that I'm on. Gosh, Laura, come on, rate yeah. it. In. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's me just trying to further this passion I have for keeping the Great American Songbook alive. Because I I really think that those pieces stand the test of time, especially some of Frank's material. So. It's a great example of what we tried to do with the record as far as creating new arrangements that were modern and fresh, but still as an homage to that that mm-hmm. style and that fantastic artist that was Old Blue Eyes. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's I love big it. band and strings <laughs> and, you know, spared no expense. Thank you, Phineas and Ferb, for paying for my album. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, and you'd also mentioned a book that you're working on? I'm working on a book. I don't want to talk too much about it because okay. I don't want to give it away. But it's sure, sure. it's basically my whole life of what I have learned about this crazy business that is show business. And right. it's not it's not an autobiography. It's not fiction. <laughs> it's more of like, okay, so you want to be in the entertainment business. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you what I've been through and what I've seen over the years. And I, I would like to translate that into not not an advice book, but just kind of a, a few guidelines and just things that I've come to learn that I really feel like I should pass on and share with people. Mm, I love that. And whenever that comes uh, comes out, whenever you're about to release that or whatever, I'd love to have you back on the show to talk about that as well. So 
Thank you. Awesome. I would love to come back. You're delightful. <laughs> and you have Thank a you. fantastic voice. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> so a, a quick uh, note to our listeners. Uh, you'll be able to find the, the links to the resources that uh, – uh, that Laura mentioned a few moments before, as well as the show notes for this episode at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash Laura Dickinson, and that's L-A-U-R-A-D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N. Mm-hmm. So, Laura, wow, thank you. Thank you so much um, for being here. Um, oh, you know what? Uh, real quick, um, just uh, tell us where we can find you online, your website, uh, if you're on Facebook and all that good stuff. Yeah, Laura Dickinson, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N. I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter at Elsie Laura, like Elsie the Cow, E-L-S-I-E-L-A-U-R-A. I'm really happy to communicate with anybody via the social media. And you can always email me through my website. I'm on iTunes. My holiday single is up there. My album is up there. A bunch of Phineas and Ferb, Sophia the First. A bunch of stuff is there. Um, I'm on all the streaming services, too, if you don't feel like paying for music, because that seems to be the trend nowadays. <laughs> um, Spotify and Pandora mm-hmm. and all that stuff, too. But, yeah, I'm pretty pretty contactable. Um, you can always hit me at info at lauradickinson.com, too, if you want to just make it easy. Awesome, awesome. Laura Dickinson, you have shared all kinds of great information that our listeners can use to help grow their performance businesses. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience. Thank you for having me, Chris. You're delightful. Thank you. My pleasure.
That was Laura Dickinson, ladies and gents. Be sure to check out her album, One for My Baby to Frank Sinatra with Love, over in the iTunes store and everywhere else you can buy your music online. Are you getting a lot of value from these interviews and looking for a way to help support this show? I'd encourage you to take a look at and support us on Patreon, which is basically a place where people can partner with and support the artists and creators that they love. Essentially, what happens is that for each episode I put out, you would pledge a small amount of money, even as small as 25 cents. Now, you don't just get the warm feelings of supporting your favorite podcast, but I've also put in place some fun incentives for supporters at different levels, such as shoutouts on the show, secret words for me to covertly slip into interviews, and exclusive Saturday morning Google Hangouts. In addition to this, Patreon supporters of all levels will have access to the uncut episodes, and in most cases, will have it a few days before the episode is officially released. And these uncut episodes will have exclusive content that is cut from the final episodes in order to bring them down to about an hour long. And if you're interested in finding out more, you can do that at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash Patreon, and that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So thank you guys for listening. You can reach me at ks at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com or on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at Chris Shepard, and I will see you guys next week. Uh, Chris Shepard signing out. Take care. Hello, this message is for Genevieve and Christopher, a.k.a. Ginny and Kit. It's Laura from Sophia the First and Jake and the Neverland Pirates and Phineas and Ferb. And I just wanted to say hi, and I hope you have a great day. Bye.